Hello and welcome to Rule of Carnage. This is a podcast uh, or a video series, depending on which sensory organs you're using currently, um, where me, Mike Hutchinson, a designer of miniature games, and this guy, Glenn Ford, also a designer of miniature games, talk shockingly about the craft of designing better miniature games. Um, and in this conversation, uh, I think what we will examine is the question of... Uh, I guess to put this in a negative light, are the mechanics of your miniatures game very, very unrelated to the story that you're trying to tell with that miniature game? Uh, have you given a bunch of levers and dials and buttons to the players, which when pressed or the act of pressing sort of don't feel anything like what you're supposed to be doing? So if you're making a pirate game, uh, do the mechanics feel like being a banker? Or if you're making a uh, interstellar banking game, do the uh, mechanics make you feel like a swashbuckling pirate? Um, so, uh, Glenn, do you want to give us a little bit of um, maybe a theoretical uh, grounding in what we're talking about here? Um, so the, part of the reason this occurred to me um, is so there's a concept mainly from video game design uh, uh, of ludo narrative dissonance. Such a lovely word to say, isn't it? it, is, it I, I do like <laughs> the word ludo and, and dissonance is very nice on the end of it. Um, but what, what ludo narrative dissonance in video games uh, refers to, it generally refers to a couple of things that you might, people might know from video games, which are A, you're playing your game and then a cutscene kicks in and either your guy is a million times better than you are if you're playing like Devil May Cry and suddenly you just annihilate a million demons and then you take back over and you're just getting your face pummeled in by the things or your guy is a complete numpty and like previously you're ninjaing around places taking out loads of things and then your Resident Evil cutscene it kicks in and you get pistol whipped by one person and go down like a sack of spuds um, or, or or there's a very specific like character based dissonance between like a sort of character that is regretting their life of violence and thinking mm -hmm. about you know retiring from this international life of crime yeah. and then every mechanic in the game is telling you to shoot loads of people until they're dead yeah, yeah. So I, I believe the original um, statement of Ludo narrative dissonance was in relation to uh, Uncharted, a mm. game where you are a lovable rogue, uh, a, a basic good guy, sort of Indiana Jones type, and then during the game you murder hundreds of people with absolutely not a qualm, and nobody's like. This guy's a psychopath. It's like, what a lovable rogue. What did he just do? Kill everyone, everyone, everyone I've ever Thank done. goodness for zombie games where you can just massacre as many uh, yeah, humanoid figures as you like and there's no questions be, asked. He'll be a good guy. I, remember, I always remember there was a, a, a car combat game where I think one of the versions, all the blood was green because then it was okay. It's exactly the exact same game. But yeah, that was Carmageddon and maybe, yeah. it was in, maybe it was in Germany. They had to, they had to, green, they had to green up the blood. Um, yeah. Right. So, so we're dealing here with a uh, uh, a disjunction between what the game is trying to tell you it's about and what the actual game is about mechanically. Yeah. Um, and so, so for for our games, I think there's two sorts of places that something ludo narrative dissonance goes on. Uh, the first one I think is quite direct, um, and that's one of these things where the background of a miniature or a unit or a force doesn't match up to what they do on the tabletop. Um, it's like we were playing um, 
Adaptus Titanicus. Um, and in Adaptus Titanicus, every single weapon and every single miniature has these insanely hyperbolic names and uh, you know and supposed abilities but because everything else in the game is, is an equal level of insane hyperbole you fire your massive awesome ultimo death cannon of doom at somebody and do like one wound and it's just constantly like well because they have a super turbo nova shield <laughs> I, I know but i just i would rather you just called it you know standard gun <laughs> and then they didn't have to feel like oh look at my uber cannon but but there is this sort of there is this moment and I, 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 I hate sort of having a go at GW, but sometimes there are times in my history with GW where, you know, somebody has been trying to sell something and they sort of go, this is the best unit in the entire world. You put this on the tabletop and, and everybody will fall before you. And you see young kids coming in and pulling that unit out and it just getting crushed immediately as soon as it hits the tabletop. And you're like... Yeah, because not everything can be, you know, that, that's not how balanced games work. You can't say those things. It's never. Well, it's, and it's also not, it's also not how interesting stories work where, yeah. you know, you know, in a superhero yarn where the superhero has tremendous powers, like that has to be a Achilles heel. And, you know, they have to, you know, the, the, the bad guy has to find the kryptonite and then it's suddenly interesting again. Hmm. Like one of my, one of my favorite sort of things in, games for a long time was like uh, when I first played uh, Malifaux uh, and I was always a, um, a resurrectionist player um, and I like to play Seamus and the way that Seamus played certainly in the first like couple of editions of Malifaux and the way he is described as acting in the background match perfectly the background mm. description of Seamus in those first editions could be a, tacti a, a, a tactics guide for playing him mm. it's it's exact it's like to run in cause as much chaos as you can make everything go mad and as long as nobody really knows what they're doing you're going to probably win and I always thought that's a, that was a perfect matching of you know Ludo story and and gameplay you know connection um and I, and I do and I do think it is something that you need to consider is like how how what you're saying a thing can do has to do with what it does do um and you can help sort of signpost your players and guide them around your game but that that ultimately isn't the main sort of body of where I think we deal with things like ludonarrative dissonance um I right because this this is essentially a this first part is essentially a a source of sort of dis disappointment or kind of letdown insofar as you set some players' expectations and then you didn't really meet the expectations. And I think that as um, as I think you're about to describe, like there's a more fundamental dysfunction that you can get in a game. Yeah, I I think relatively speaking, that's a it's a kind of minor concern because it's quite fixable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly what I'm about to say. Is our cutscenes are not carefully rendered with with hours of work by by hundreds of artists and people working together. Our cutscenes consider are us with a pen going, "This guy's awesome," and then you look at it and you go, "Scribble, scribble, scribble." This guy's a numpty, and people will people like models that are absolutely useless as much as they like ones that are awesomely powerful. I think that's one of the, as long as they're balanced. People mm. love fielding all snotling and, and all halfling 
teams in Blood Bowl and and running goblin masses in in mass battle games. It, there's always somebody who likes to play the absolute underdog. As yeah. so long as you get more of them as the other people, it's fine. Not everything has to be the most awesome you know, the fastest gun in the West. That is not a necessity. And so you can fix that with, with a stroke of the pen. I think that what we have that's our kind of problem with this is what I sort of, what I think of as a, as a break between the sort of the back end and the front end experience of your game. That there's, there's a back end experience that is about manipulating the, the levers and working the engine and, and sort of and turning the cogs. Hmm. And there's a front-end experience, which is what that is meant to be representing, what's that that's meant to be creating is people's minds. And I think a, an example from our back catalogue is Gaslands is in many places quite a sort of quick and dirty game. That it's sort of, you know, chuck some dice, roll things around, you get an output pretty quickly, you get a fairly there's a set of sharp little feedback loops in Gaslands where you get a little game here and you get a little game here. Right. Yeah, even just like the, the the eyeballing the templates and going, uh, which one? Ah, it has to be this one. Okay. Ah, damn it. Yeah. Whereas a billion sons um is 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 expansive in its nature. You you have to you know it's, it's analytic it's analytical in its nature. Like you're encouraged to get your protractor out and get your calculator out and figure out whether you've got enough profit and whether you've got enough angles and exactly what should go where. Because, yeah, yeah because it's trying to communicate something very different. Yeah, a, a Billion Suns is not a space game about the guy in the X-Wing and the TIE Fighter. It's a space game about a guy with a spreadsheet somewhere with his overheads listed on it who has, like, one eye on the profit margin as much as he has... Right, it's about it's about a giant green and black tactical display light years away from the combat zone with someone going, oh, there's got to be a solution here and, and trying to figure it out whilst yeah. spaceships move, you know, across many light years towards each other across potentially hours. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, A Billion Suns is a game that really wants you to care about, like, the, the, the profit mon- margins and the numbers because it wants you to... It wants you to feel like somebody who cares about that in a way that Gaslands does not want you to care about, like, mm. you know, the the even the hold points left on your vehicle, really. It wants you to kind of go, oh, it looks like I can be dead in a minute. You know, that, that'll be... And it's, may, it's maybe a kind of a dumb way to go about designing games because it, it, if you like Gaslands, there's a fairly high chance you don't like A Billion <laughs> Suns because they're just doing completely different things. Um which is which is just a silly way of creating a catalog of games but um i think the the thing the thing that i am especially delighted by indeed like i i can't really understand what the point of designing games is other than creating mechanical systems on the back end that when manipulated produce results that feel like the thing that you were trying to evoke and because the entire game is manipulating the levers, there's literally nothing else. Like if the levers don't feel right, your game is wrong. Like it just isn't doing its job of, um, and you know, maybe the game engine is great, but you need to change the theme and and tell the players that they are having fun doing something different. And then the then the sort of the, the, the lacquer on top will make sense compared to the thing that they're being asked to mess about with. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
so yeah and so this is this is i think like at root the the question you know to be to be considered here is how exactly how important is it how much of a match between what it's like to pull those levers and what it's like to have the experience because obviously there's a level of abstraction and um suspension of disbelief and etc etc you know however much gaslands is like being in a post-apocalyptic death race it's obviously nothing like being in a post-apocalyptic death race um that would be a fairly unpleasant experience uh, <laughs> if, if, if nothing else and certainly wouldn't involve being sat down in an armchair at a gaming table you know there are going to be breaks the, the the question is like where where does the sort of the the the, the verisimilitude the ludonarrative dissonance matter and where doesn't it matter you know like and I, yeah and it and it's sort of uh... It feels to me very much in the, it seems to be very much in the sort of shared play experience of what is the game, what are the game mechanics sort of encouraging me um, to approach the game with such and such an attitude? Uh, we've talked before about the sort of mission statement that you get in um, in War Machine. like it doesn't matter whether or not you like that particular mission statement. What it does is provide a sorting hat for players and then a set of basically instructions that say, filter all of the subsequent mechanics through this mindset. And so I think that that's a fairly, you know, that's a fairly blunt instrument way of doing it. And it's, it's fine. Like I'm not so I'm not sure you shouldn't consider doing that yourself, but I think that the way that I have approached it, we have approached it is, to try and inspire that in a more like indirect way. It's like, well, when you add up all the mechanics, what you get is a play experience that feels like this. And um, if you enjoy that, you will end up playing the game in this particular way. And it's either more excitable or it's more sedate or it's more tactical or it's more strategic um, or it's more about, you know, uh, laughing and cackling as all of the miniatures get taken off or it's more about, you know, husbanding your resources and being extremely upset when one thing gets, you know, half wounded or whatever. And I think that for for me, it's about like obviously the game experience has got nothing to do with the theme. Like they aren't going to it is you know your cowboy game isn't going to feel like being in the hot sun drawing guns rapidly. But there's got to be something about the relationship between the players and the relationship between the the game in front of you and your attitude towards it that has to feel somewhat related to. The mental state or the attitude of the sort of at least the key players that you're trying to evoke and with that we'll take a quick break i don't necessarily believe that there ought to be a representation of the player on the tabletop so like sometimes when you play fantasy games like it, uh, big battle games it feels like you know you're supposed to be the general and maybe you know there might even be mechanics where your influence you know, degrades the further from the general model that you are, or, you know, I'm supposed to be the pilot of this ship or whatever. And I'm not sure it's that direct, but it certainly feels like, you know, it's to a degree, like there's a, to a degree, it's a sort of power fantasy or it's like a, it, you know, it's just a fantasy. And so wherever the most exciting part of that fantasy is, like I want to be dialed into whatever the kind of 
presumed, even if they're cinematic, the presumed thought processes and emotions of that player and just find a sort of analogue way of creating, you know, whether it's tension or peril or, you know, the sensation of power or the sensation of hopelessness or whatever it is that's supposed to be happening in that, you know, central character's mind. Like, that's what your game mechanics need to be doing. And so if you've got analytical mechanics and you are experiencing analytical mental states but it's about you know being terrified in a bunker while surrounded by gremlins like that's that's wrong it needs to be something different yeah yeah i i I think that you have to sort of consider okay how how does somebody what does somebody need to know and understand when they are engaging with this part of the game you know what what are they having to hold in their head to manipulate and what does it feel like to do that you know, because because again, tracking back to Gaslands, it has lots of little sort of mini mechanics that don't necessarily super have to relate to each other. So you don't need to take a wide view, you know, of a lot of the pieces. It can just go, okay, well, this is the gear you're in. This is the gear you want to get to. These are the dice you've got. The dice are quite simple. Deal with that. Now let's move on to this next thing. Um, like I say, whereas sometimes with other games like A Billion Sons, it's like you can't do this unless you understand that and that and that. I want you to experience understanding that. I want that feeling of like mental crunchy pressure going on. It's, I mean, because it, it's a this has partly occurred to me at the moment because I'm working on a game um, about well, it's a game that is that has a sort of punk idea and a punk aesthetic, um, and we sort of been been talking about it and a few times you're like well this is what being a punk is like it's like okay this isn't about being a punk the game is punk you are not a punk um and it and it's an attempt for in its in its way like how you present the game as you're writing in it as you're explaining it to the player and you're saying you know this is not a game that is precious about placements and measurements this is not a game that wants you to care about this thing and that thing this is a game that wants you to act like this and enjoy this and do this and and that's a game where you know i've put in a very very physical resolution system Mm. uh, and a resolution system that repeatedly makes a lot of mess on the tabletop and then sort of takes away and and reproduces it so you have this very tactile thing going on sort of every turn because that's what i want that's what i want to recreate i want to create this feeling of something that's very physical and very messy and doesn't have much in the way of dice and numbers because those aren't the sort of the experiences that i want to put into that game and that i want people to feel and 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 have recreated and i think this is the thing it's it's ultimately about sort of going okay there's the conceit of you are this person, which you do or don't need. But what there is in, as well, there is the idea of this is the feeling, and, the, and that sounds very sort of... No, no, that's right. That's right. This, this is the state of mind that this tabletop is representing. I want you to have that state of mind when you look at this tabletop. Do you look at that tabletop and feel like, I am taking a mighty over distant overview. Do you look at that tabletop and think like, I'm that 20 foot tall psychopath over there with the gun the size of a city. <laughs> All shall fall before me. Do you look at that tabletop and go, you know, I'm that dude punching the other guy right, right in the mush. And uh, you know, what, 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 and you're none of those guys and you're all of those guys and 
the overall feeling of what is this table about? What's it what's it about when you look at it? You know, and and do the rules pay that out and do they make you yeah make you feel like you're in that that correct mindset it's a very nebulous thing and i and we sort of decided to talk about this knowing it was a very sort of uh you know floaty floaty idea it is nebulous but it's also for me like almost the whole point like almost my entire pleasure in this craft is that moment where those two things click together and the alchemy that occurs when you took what was essentially a set of unrelated, completely nonsensical, you know, fiddly mechanics of like maths or or manipulating objects, and somehow it communicates a feeling that's like, ooh, I'm doing something exciting, or ooh, I'm doing something scary, or ooh, I'm doing something yeah, analytical. And I don't know, like that's that's all of it for me. It's it's funny because for various reasons I've been involved in quite a few conversations with people who are getting um, AI chat programs to write games and see what happens. Hmm. Um, and the thing that is instantly, and I'm not I'm not saying AI will never ever be able, be able to do these things, but the thing that is immediately obvious to any of these attempts at games written by AI is apart from the fact that they're mechanically just not even games; they just don't work at the moment, but the point of writing a game is about fundamentally whether or not it's fun, whether or not a human being finds playing it fun. Um, and it's like, I imagine there might be a day when you can get a computer, you know, an AI program, and without telling them just copy what I did, that was fun. It can it can grasp the idea of, well, manipulating this bit of a game is enjoyable. But that's so 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 far. It's some, there's something. So but it's, all, it's also the it's also the case that like, as game designers, we have no idea whether it's fun initially. Mm. Like the first draft, like you have a hypothesis, it might be fun. It's almost never fun. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, no, it's, you it's, just it's, have to keep chipping away at it. The single hardest thing about any game design, and this comes up over and over and over when I talk to people, is just fundamentally making it actually fun. It's mm. really, and this is, I suppose, that the, the core of this thing is, it's so easy to write game mechanics. It's so e easy to write rules. And it's one of the things you see from a lot of first time designers is that there's a lot of rules in their games because they're, they're right. kind of fun to write and they turn a cog and it's fun imagining the, the, the cog. Making something fun is backbreakingly difficult a lot of the time uh, you know the first play experiences but then i think to back to back to the point of those conversations like you got to make it fun and you got to make it coherent with the feeling and the story that you're trying to tell and the <laughs> thing that's fun might just be better off somewhere else in a thing about you know sword dueling rather than spaceship combat yeah yeah i mean it, yeah fun fun here i think fun here a lot of the time is that it pays off the offer you made to your players and a lot of time mm. the offer you made is in that story moment and then your mechanics have to pay it off and they don't and if they don't and if they don't fulfill what your promise was funds a lot of things you know you make a promise of a certain kind of fun and then you pay it off to people right right and we both enjoy extraordinarily different game experiences and consider them to be fun and it's not that one is more fun or less fun than the other it's that there was a setup that was like, okay, we're playing like football, but it's Tron and it's going to be an abstract game. And you're like, okay. And then when it delivers on that, you're like, wow, abstract football looks like Tron. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but if you tried to do that whilst telling me like, this is going to be like a counter-strike, you know, 
sort of modern combat you know arena duel i'd be like well this is crud yes yes absolutely okay well that's been a, a fun chat about ludo narrative dissonance um and the places where mechanical rules maybe break away from the sort of fronted experience of engaging with a game um I, yeah i i think this is one of the things that is just so central to to writing games um but still, it's one of those tricky things to figure out what level you need it to be at and where you need it to be and and where because you, you need to let it slide to some degree and how to let it slide. I'm sure it's the sort of thing we'll come back to in many different forms in many conversations because it is it's a big, big slippery banana of a subject. For now, um, why not stop down to the comment sections and tell us about your big slippery banana? Um, you know, are you struggling with either a game that you like, but that doesn't match up to the, the story behind it? Is there a story you're trying to tell and you can't quite find the mechanics for? Um, while you're in the comment section, um, punch the like and subscribe buttons because we want you to, and it's a good thing and makes us happy. Drop yourself into the Discord um, and there's a lot it doesn't, of it doesn't actually it doesn't actually make us happy it simply operates the machinery of youtube thank you i mean it makes me a little happy it just, tells oh, me whenever someone Glenn subscribes happy. and i go oh somebody subscribed <laughs> to do Glenn's that. big on vanity metrics <laughs> <laughs> actually we're getting we're getting i don't i'm not sure what the situation will be like when we hit this particular video's release but we're getting close to a thousand subscribers people I this is uh, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, leg I'm legit excited to see. What, you. Will, what will we talk? What will we talk about as a celebration of, uh, of uh, a thousand followers? I don't know yet. We'll Who knows? To... Possibly, depending on how these things come out, this was what we talked about: <laughs> celebration of a thousand followers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, stop by the Discord. Either way, um, I think it's going to be uh, a sign-off on this particular subject. So it's going to be a thank you and goodbye. Ciao, ciao. So, Bye-bye. Thank you all. Bye-bye.